there's more. And so to help us experience these, we're going to feel in some ways like six waves of this text. Uh, Stephen and Olivia are going to read um, the passage uh, interspersed with the text from the Old Testament. And then I have a poem that I'm going to be reading in stanzas that, that kind of bounce back and forth with that. And so at home, I hope this works for you guys. Um, we're kind of aiming this at the folks that are here. And there's going to be one spot in particular where Stephen and Olivia are going to need your help. Uh, there are going to be two words that really only have the full force if they don't come just from them, but they come from you as well. And those two words are crucify him. So you'll know when that's to come. That'll, you'll be called for uh, twice. But with that, let me pray for us that the Lord, one more time, would just kind of, we're going to echo what Keith just asked. The Lord would soften our hearts. Father, that's our, our request now, is that you would settle and soften us. Lord, may we be like sponges so that we can understand from this night how great your love was for us. In Jesus' name, amen. By way of context, just to remember, we've come from the upper room through to the garden, and Jesus was just arrested. So now he's been brought to trial. And that's more or less where we begin. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He taught in the temple. And he walked in their streets. He healed them in masses. He was rarely discreet. Yet now clubs and torches. Now this kiss so sweet. See now the scriptures fulfilled. They came from the room asking, Lord, is it me? But they come now to danger, yet they all turn to flee. They scatter in cowardness, nakedness. See? See now the scriptures fulfilled. For it was to be that our Lord would know pain. He would be abandoned, alone, and ashamed. And the cup now before him soon will be drained. See now the scriptures fulfilled. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him. But their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, 
We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. But I am a worm, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads at me. The priests had their rules. And the council had laws, and their trials were precise to the least smallest clause. But to meet all night long? Will none at least pause? But see now, the scripture is fulfilled. The verdict was set ere the first witness spoke. This witnesses, testimonies, all such a joke. But they must find one reason to bring down this stroke. See now, the scripture is fulfilled. When slandered, silence. No answer, no word. Then, I am the Christ, and their fury was stirred. So strike him, spit on him. It's all so absurd. But see now, the scripture's fulfilled. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. From the shadows creeps Peter, now back from his flight. Warmed by the fire, he stepped into her sight. Her eyes narrow. She knows me, he sees with affright, but see now the scripture is fulfilled. I think you were with him, with the Nazarene. I'm certain for you, aren't you Galilean? Yes, you were with him. You were there. You've been seen. And see now the scripture is fulfilled. 
I, I don't know what you mean, he stammered at first. You were there. I deny it. May God kill me, he cursed. And now, condemned by a rooster, he's a coward, the worst. And sadly, the scriptures fulfilled. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me. Like a ravening and roaring lion, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. With the dawn on the hills and their maker in chains... The Jews' pious shepherds hand over Christ's reins. To get justice they long for, or at least justice's remains, but see now the scriptures fulfilled. And amidst all their clamor and accusation and noise, Pilate looks at their king and he asks them, Now boys, are you certain he's guilty? And they all raise their voice. We demand the scriptures fulfilled. But this is his hour, and this is God's plan. So mock him and hit him, or kneel down while you can, for he'll come back one day, but for now, he's your man. See now, the scripture is fulfilled. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in the prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they all shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now the crowds in a furor. There's blood in their eyes. And Pilate sees Barabbas, and, and being so wise, can't imagine that they choose one whom they despise. Yet see now the scriptures fulfilled. Barabbas, cries Pilate. Yes, Barabbas, they cry. What of Jesus, your king? 
and with one voice, crucified. But he's not guilty, yet they won't be denied. So tremble as scripture is fulfilled. This is why he's here. It's why Jesus came. That despite all we'd done, who goes free? Hear your name. So his back is bloodied. He's released to their game. And weep now. The scripture is fulfilled. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The earth's rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. He who sits in the heavens holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The soldiers are sneering. They're on their home court and sensing advantage make Jesus their sport. This trauma begins, and it won't be cut short. See now, the scripture is fulfilled. Terrible thorns twisted into his crown. Purple cloak, now stained crimson as red gushes down. Strike the mocked king! While the angels stand down. Hush now, the scripture is fulfilled. This raging of nations, this plotting of kings, the conniving and lying and pulling of strings. What can be the good that such evil brings? Quiet now, as scripture's fulfilled. But God, this can't be. Is this really your will, that your innocent son for our sins would be killed? How can this be the way of your scripture fulfilled? Is he truly the king set on your holy hill? Yes. Nothing is shaken in heaven above. For this is the path and the way of my love. And yes, he's the one whom the psalmist spoke of. So watch now, my child. Be still now, my child. Hush now, my child. And see now the scriptures fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, for your word, we are grateful. For your work in us, as we hear your word, we are desperate. And so I pray, Lord, may we draw from what we have just heard, what your spirit intends, that we might become more like your courageous, innocent, and loving son. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank Stephen and Olivia. Not sure what this is doing for your camera angle, Jace, so I'm sure you'll be able to figure that out.
tough text, isn't it? This is how much we know that we are loved by God. This is how much we know that Jesus cared about our plight and sin. This is how much we know that our being rescued rather than dumped out in the trash, our being restored and redeemed mattered to God that his eternal plan would cost his innocent son. That is what we know reading this text. I want to draw three brief application points with you from this passage. They're all centered around what we are to do in light of what we've just heard, and that's always hard to do, right? This is not a text that calls for you to do exactly what Jesus did. Your blood will not redeem humanity. You are not innocent, pure. You are not God. This was not your task. It was his. But what do we do having heard it? Will it make a difference? Will it matter? Will it change us? I think the first thing that we want to do as we hear what Jesus endured for us is to remember that Jesus perfectly sympathizes with the hurts and pains of your life. It should not be as we often feel that the worst things in humanity have been done to us, that we have absorbed the worst injustices, that that person who hates or denies or neglects us is doing the worst evil that mankind has ever seen. But sometimes it feels that way. And what God tells us is not to buck up and ignore it, just get over it, pretend it doesn't happen. That's not the counsel that Scripture gives at all. Instead, in some cases, up to half of the Gospels are spent on this last week and the bulk of that last week on the injustice Jesus endured. He has been, as we have seen in Mark, he has been accused at the temple over and over. The king has returned. He's set up on his holy hill and all of the tenants of the vineyard reject him and they will kill him. And the Gospels want us to see that and to focus on it. Mark wants us to hear this text and to realize not that pain doesn't count, not that it's to be ignored and forgotten, but that we are to see what Jesus has endured, his hurts and his pains, and to remember firstly then that the Son of God sympathizes with you in that state. He and only he understands your life and can say, I know what that's like. The book of Hebrews tells us we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, the Son of God. What that means is he, in the beginning, had no business being here at all. He was, as the creator, receiving adulation and worship from those who are there and saw him for what he was. He is the source of the light that radiated in angels' faces that made men bow down and were tempted to worship created angelic beings. Why? Because they were the moon and he was the sun. That's where he came from. He has passed through the heavens to us. He didn't belong here in the first place, but he has arrived. 
And having arrived, we have then this great high priest. And to use sort of the opposite language of the way it's stated later in Hebrews, we have a high priest who then is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. The author of Hebrews states it that we do not have a high priest who is unable. And so the double negative is a great truth. The one who has passed through the heavens hasn't come down to look at us and say, what's all your problem? He came down. So at another point in Hebrews, the author could say he learned obedience through what he suffered. The son of man had never once had to obey in his life. He was in charge and he came down to follow the will of another. He sweat drops of blood to be able to follow the will of another. And now having done that, the author tells us he understands what it's like to hurt. He understands what it's like to be in pain. He did this for us. But if we're going to remember that Jesus sympathizes with the hurts and pains of our life and we see these two texts, the ultimate question at the end of it is, well, then, so what? what? Okay, he does that, so what then ought I to do? If I remember that Jesus sympathizes with my hurts and my pains, I see that he's the high priest who's come and who's walked this road for me, then what ought I to do? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us the very next thing. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and so that we may find grace to help in time of need. Why is it that when we are hurting that we run from God? Because that is part of the broken, fallen, sinful DNA that we inherited from Adam. But a second Adam has come. And he is here to be able to teach us not to flee from God, but to run to him. And the way that he did it wasn't to stand up and say, these pains in your life don't matter. He's come to say, I feel the pains of your life and I have shown you the path to bring them to God. Therefore, if we have a high priest, we draw near. The second thing I think we get from a text like this in light of the the wealth of scripture And this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler. Good Friday is still yet to come. He is still yet to die on the cross. He is only beaten and condemned. But the second thing we need to see is that we remember how Jesus both saw and solved the moments when you failed and denied him. This was Peter's story, and he's not the hero. But if we need to put ourselves in one person's place, it's rarely a good idea for us to put ourselves in Jesus' place and say, yes, all the rest of the world has failed and denied me. I think if we're being honest, we would probably put ourselves in Peter's place and recognize the path he walked is the one that I've walked as well. The cowardice he demonstrated is the same way that I've been cowardly. And what do we do with those kinds of moments? Well, spoiler, something else happens in Peter's life. Having betrayed him three times, John talks about the moment when Peter met Jesus again. And he highlights things in two different ways. First, he tells us that it was on the third time that Peter saw Jesus 
The first time, no. And the second time, no. But here on the beach, when the disciples were out fishing and they spot Jesus on the shore, and Peter recognizes it's Jesus and he swims into him, Jesus meets him there on this third occasion. And he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. That scene repeats itself twice. But then on the third time, John says it this way. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See what John's highlighting for us in light of the dilemma that Peter just experienced on this night? Peter had three shots and he missed the ball in ugly swings all three times. He's condemned by a servant girl and he's condemned by a chicken. That's the way it went for him. These were not his best moments. And yet Jesus sees more in Peter than just his denials. And Jesus knows that the strength that Peter has wouldn't have worked and wouldn't have lasted him his whole life if Peter had been successful in these moments and Peter had to then bank on his own strength. But the strength that Peter has is the same strength that is true for every single one of us in the times that we have failed and denied Jesus as well. The way you will make it through your life is not that you look back at your track record of obedience and say, isn't it a great thing that God pulled me into his team? Isn't it a great thing that God called me? Because look, my track record of obedience indicates that Jesus is so lucky to have me. That is not the way things go. You may have some impressive points in your past, but you better not bank on them. Instead, our hope and our confidence is in the fact that God is good and that we see his goodness in, his great, in our great Redeemer's blood. It's the fact that Jesus died for Peter and now the fact that Jesus rose for Peter that will be the basis for how he's sent out into the world. Three times did you fail him? Three times does Jesus restore him. And in the same way that Jesus ultimately sympathizes with our weakness, Jesus also restores us from our cowardice. So if you look back and you say, yeah, I don't have to gaze too far into my past in order to see ways that I was very Peter-esque. I want you to remember that what we're about to celebrate this week is the same confidence that Peter has in this later scene. Jesus is preparing in the chronology that we'll look at to die for you. And the Father is preparing that through faith, your identification with Jesus in his death will kill the rebellious parts of you and he will raise to life something new. That's your hope. That's your confidence. Both in life and in death. The third thing we want to see from this text then is ultimately that we can rejoice that God's perfect plan not only redeems, but also includes the darkest days and vilest events that the world has ever known. It is not coincidental that most people who fall away from Christ fall away after their own Gethsemane, their own Calvary. In other words, the moments of their life that are the darkest Test the metal of the God that they think they believe in. 
Every time we try to present Jesus to you, every time we try to present the character of God to you, we try to do it in such a way that he can't just handle the five pound, you know, weights that come in our lives. That he can't just, you know, bench press the 250 pound barbell. Those are impressive things and they're helpful things. But if we don't worship a God who can handle the darkest and the heaviest, the vilest and the worst, then we don't worship a God at all. We just, in, we worship something that's like us, just a little different. Maybe a little bit better. But those are ancient gods. Those are pagan gods. When we worship the God, we worship the God whose perfect plan redeems and includes not just all the gray days, but the pitch black dark days. What that means is when you look back over your past and you see the darkness you've contributed and the darkness you've endured, you don't have to ask, where was God at those points? Because for me, reading through Mark 14 and 15, I don't come away saying, but what about? I don't ask, but Jesus, I mean, that was okay. That was kind of bad, but it's nothing like the kind of suffering that I've experienced. Now, when I read Mark 14 and 15, I realize this is the darkest. This is the worst. And this is how we were saved. So if God's plan is to take the worst day and make it the best for us, if we can truly approach Friday and call it good this week, then I have to be able to read my less dark days into it and realize God can handle them as well. If he's bench pressing the weight of the sin of the world, then he can handle the weight of my sorrow and struggle. And that means that when trials come, when darkness arrives, I don't have to question God. I don't have to rethink my doctrine. I don't have to toss it all out the window. But I can say, as so many in this church have, this is hard, but God is good. I am weak, but God is strong. All of this, I think, comes from appreciating what we have seen right before us, what we've heard, what we've seen in terms of what it would mean for Scripture to be fulfilled in the life of Jesus. But there are probably no better words for us to close with than those that come out of Romans. Where Paul tells us that if he did this for us, he's got so much more. Listen one more time. He who did not spare his own son, but he who gave him up for us all. That's, that's what's happening today. That's what's happening this week as we approach Good Friday. He did not spare and he gave him up. If that's the case, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And not the random love of God, not the fluffy love of God, not the bunny precious moments kind of love of God, but the love of God that we see this week in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. And I want to let you know, you don't get to put an asterisk on this text. You don't get to say everything but, no, this, maybe for them, not for me. No. The key word in this text toward the end is neither and nor. Whatever those are as parts of speech, they bring the power. Because nothing gets in the way of the love of God through Christ for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful again for your word. And hearing a few ways we can apply what it means to see how you fulfilled the scriptures through Jesus for us. I pray that we would remember, may this be a week of reflection. Lord, as we prepare in a moment to take the Lord's Supper together, may we be able to savor and to appreciate what it means that you love us. And may we grasp that this is ungraspable. May we fathom how fathomless your love for us truly is. We are truly blessed in you. Amen. Though we'll take communion together in a little bit in a uh, seated, uh, we are going to stand. So let's, uh, let's stand together and we're going to sing before we take the Lord's Supper.